Over a month, around 6% of the UK gather together to worship Jesus. It feels like we're too few to make a difference. But the reality is, Monday to Saturday, God has us. Scattered in the world, connecting to hundreds and thousands of people. So wherever you are, whoever you are, whatever you do, you can make all the difference in the world. And on Sundays, when we gather together, we strengthen and empower one another to be sent out again for life on our front lines. So just a short introductory video to explain a little bit about the series that we're going to be following for the next couple of months. Hopefully you would have seen these cards knocking around at the back of the church. There's a, um, a supply of them if you, if you haven't yet got one. Um, and the series is called Fruitfulness on the Front Line. And if you want to know a little bit more about the sort of things we're going to be doing each week, then there is a list of dates and sermon titles on the back. Um, so please take that away, have a look, and it will, it will give you give you a bit of a flavour, but this morning is the introductory session. Now, in the Advent series, who can remember what the Advent series was about? Beacons. Oh, very good. That was a, that's a series about beacons, about how we can, we can be beacons of, of hope, joy, love, peace in, in, our, in our communities. Because like that video says, often, during the week, Monday through to Saturday, it's very easy to feel isolated, to feel that we gather together on a Sunday morning and we sing songs and we praise God and we acknowledge him as Lord and King and that's brilliant. But we get into the office on Monday morning or we get around the dinner table with the rest of the family or we go to the groups and the, the, the societies that we're members of during the week and there's no mention of God. And it can be quite depressing it can be even more depressing when we come to church and we say, there's a world out there that doesn't want to know. And you think, yeah, I know, I live in it. And it can feel like we're, we're fighting a lost cause. But we're not. We're not. Because it all comes down to the attitude that we adopt. And this is something that we're going to be looking at in the, in the, in the next few weeks. We're going to be looking at our attitude. We're going to be looking at the way that we, uh, that we respond and address certain situations that we may find ourselves in. And we're also going to be looking at practical ways in which we can make a difference. We can be fruitful. There's a great story that I've heard many times a parachute regiment that were dropped into occupied Europe during the Second World War. And they, they, there was a windy night, they drifted uh, many miles from their intended drop. They sent out to try and work out where. And eventually the scouts came back and they went to the, the colonel in charge of this, this group of paratroopers and they said, Colonel, this is, this is not good, we're, we're surrounded. What do we do? And the story goes that the colonel looked at the scouts and said, we're paratroopers, 
We're meant to be surrounded. And then he called his men together and he said, Men, the enemy are to our front and the enemy are to our rear. They're to our left and they're to our right. You know what that means, don't you? There's no way they can get away from us this time. You see, I love that story, partly because it's, it's, a, it's a funny story, it's a, it's a, it's a, clever, um, a clever thing to say in, in, a, in a difficult situation, but also because of the attitude that it shows. This was a soldier who, who knew that he'd been dropped in to do a job. And he could either have thought, oh my goodness, we're surrounded, what do I do, what do I do? And panic in front of his men. They could have seen him lose face and, and realise that he didn't have faith in their ability to get themselves out of the situation they were in. But instead, he chose not to do that. He chose to approach this problem of being surrounded by the enemy in a positive light. He chose to respond by inspiring and encouraging his fellow soldiers. And eventually they did manage to fight their way to where they were supposed to be. It's very easy for us to look around us during the week and say, we are surrounded. Where, where is God? Where are my allies? Where is my escape route from this situation? And then, of course, it's very easy to blame God and say, why have you done this? What am I doing here? But, of course, the answer is, God drops us into these situations because God believes in us. God knows that he's equipped us with all the strength, all the inner faith that we need to get through any situation. Because never does he abandon us. Never does he cut us off and forsake us and say, there you go, on your own. God is always with us. So this series, The Fruitfulness on the Front Line, one of the things I want to say today, I want to break that down and when we talk about fruitfulness in church, it's very easy to talk about fruit of the Spirit and limit it to the list that Paul gives us. Now, of course, there's nothing wrong in that. If we go around modelling the fruit of the Spirit, then we're going to be fantastic witnesses for Christ. But not all of us can be fantastic evangelists. Not all of us can be heroes of the faith. We're all made differently. We're all given different strengths, different weaknesses. Not all of us can be like David, stepping out to go and fight Goliath with virtually no armour, no weaponry. Not all of us can be like Daniel, refusing to, to back down in the way that he expresses his faith and so get thrown to the lions. Not all of us can do that. But you see, if we remain in Christ, step by step, day by day, piece by piece, we fulfil the path that he has planned for us. We make a difference in this world for him. In John 15, Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Now, 
If a branch stops producing fruit, it withers. If it's cut off from, from, the, from the main vine, it can't produce fruit. It dies. If we, if we focus on trying to bring people to Christ but don't look after our own inner relationship with him, then we're not going to be much use. If, we're, if we don't remain in Christ, then we can't bring people to Christ. We won't bear fruit. So throughout this series, one of the focuses is going to be on the importance of maintaining a healthy prayer life, a regular prayer life, a sacrificial prayer life, a prayer life that doesn't get to the end of the day and says, I've not had time to pray today. I've been too busy with other things. But instead, a prayer life that gets to the end of the day and says, I've prayed today. I haven't haven't got the other things done because I've been too busy praying. That's a prayer life that will produce fruit. Or maybe it gets to the end of the day and says, I haven't got certain things done today because I spent the time that I wanted to devoting myself to the study of scripture, to meditating on what God is saying to me through his word. You see, if we don't allow Jesus to make an impact on us, then whatever we do, we won't make an impact on others. Because Jesus has to be at the centre of our lives before we can expect others to put him at the centre of theirs. In 2 Kings chapter 5, we read the story of Naaman. I love, I love that story. One of the things that I love about that story is that we meet... This teenage girl, a teenage servant girl who has had a terrible time of it. She's been the victim of a raiding party that have come over the borders into Israel, ransacked her village, taken the livestock, probably killed the majority of, of, of people in the village, just taken away the young ones who could be used as slaves. She's been taken from her home, taken from her family, taken from everything familiar. Any any semblance of a future that she might once have thought of having is gone. She's been taken to a strange land. This unknown, unnamed teenage servant girl. She must have been terrified at first. We don't know how long she had been in this situation when we meet her at the start of 2 Kings chapter 5. What we do know is that she was phenomenal. She was absolutely phenomenal because she became a servant to Naaman's wife, a servant girl to Naaman's wife. Naaman being the head of the army, one of the most powerful men beside beside the king himself in that whole country the country of Aram. And one day this servant girl hears the news that Naaman, the man responsible for ransacking her village, for stealing her from her family, taking her into slavery, the man responsible for ruining her life, for terrifying her, has leprosy. A disease which would eventually lead to death. 
a disease which would have been very painful, very uncomfortable. It would have led him to be a social outcast, cut off from everything. It was a, a terrible thing to get. And Naaman, Naaman of all people, develops leprosy. She could have been forgiven for saying, ha, good, good. Naaman's got leprosy. Well, it serves him right. Because look what he's done to me. Look what he's done to many other people like me. Taken us away from our friends, our family, our homes. Stealing everything that my family had, killing half of them. Leaving the others with nothing. Leaving me a slave. It serves him right. Do you know what this is? This is God's judgment. This is... This is God's judgment on him. Good. She could have said that. And I think actually, if we're honest, there are many of us here today who probably would have taken that sort of, that sort of um, point of view. Would have responded in that way. But she doesn't. You see, this is many, many, many years before Jesus walks on this earth. So this is many, many, many years before Jesus spoke about loving your enemies. Jesus said in Matthew 5, you've heard, it, you've heard that it was said, love your neighbour and hate your enemy, but I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. That was the words of Jesus. Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. And yet even now today, when we look back and when we look at a real life situation like this, this unknown, unnamed servant girl, many of us will sit here thinking, do you know what, I would, have, I would have put Naaman's leprosy down to God's judgement. But she doesn't. She doesn't. She recognises that God has a plan for her. She recognises that God has put her there for a reason. She recognises that despite her own situation, the awful situation she found herself in, she recognises that God has given her an opportunity. An opportunity where she could either ignore it and selfishly take the self-righteous route and say, ha, serves you right, Naaman. I'm going to watch you rot. Literally. Or... She can say to her mistress, my lady, there is a prophet. There is a prophet in Israel who can heal him. You see, she doesn't pray for him, but she practically says, have you, have you, have you thought of trying this? You see, I, I actually was brought up to worship a God who I believe can heal him. If you go into Israel, write to the king of Israel. He'll direct you to the prophet who will know what to do. The prophet who God will instruct to heal Naaman of his leprosy. She shows love and compassion to the one who persecuted her. The one who had persecuted her terribly. And so the story goes on. Naaman eventually does meet the prophet Elisha and eventually at first he's, when he's told to go and baptise himself or dip himself seven times in the Jordan 
He says, you're joking, I could have done that myself in my own country, what a waste of time. But he's, he's convinced in the end to go and do it and he dips himself seven times into the Jordan and he comes out and his skin is clear of leprosy. God has performed a healing, a miracle. The king of Aram goes home worshipping God. Because of the actions of this unknown, unnamed teenage girl, a whole country is changed. A whole people is changed. All because this this girl recognised that that her front line, although it wasn't the front line that she wanted, it wasn't the front line that she would have chosen, although whilst being on that front line she felt isolated and, and felt abandoned and felt that she had no future and no hope, she never missed an opportunity to tell someone about her God. She knew that if if things were ever going to improve, it would be because of God. So when she sees this opportunity, she seizes it. She shares it. We never hear anything about her ever again in the rest of Scripture. You see, she's not going out onto the front line of the battlefield, fronting down Goliath. She's not like Daniel, refusing to renounce his faith, knowing that he was going to be thrown into the lion's den. So when we, when we talk about our front lines, we, we often, we can't go onto our front line and be a David or be a Daniel, no. Many of us don't have it in us. It's not necessarily a lack of faith. Sometimes we don't have those opportunities. Sometimes it can be frustrating because we go day by day looking for an opportunity to be, to be heroic. Looking for an opportunity to die through the rings of fire and, and, and dodge the bullets, but actually they don't come. Sometimes you get to the end of the day and you think, do you know the only opportunity I've had to show my faith today was holding a door open for someone. And they walked through it, they didn't even acknowledge me, and I was actually quite offended. They didn't even say thank you. That was all I've done. But you know what? It's those small steps. It's those small steps that show our Christian character. It was Gandhi, wasn't it, who, who said, when he was asked about the Christian faith, and he said, when I look at the Christian faith, I... I like your Christ, but I do not like your Christians. This Frontline series is about doing a a little bit to change that. A little bit to, to encourage us. Encourage us in our daily walk. Encourage us, just like those, when those dots went, the, the 6% was scattered amongst the 94%, and you think, wow, that's, that's, a, great, that's a great visual, visual aid. Because that's how we often feel, isn't it? When we go out into the week, we often feel that we're scattered. 94% of people around us, I don't want to call them the enemy because sometimes they're friends and they're family, but spiritually they don't know Christ. They don't know Christ. If this hasn't got them, then who has? But bit by bit, little by little, we can make a difference. Over the coming weeks, we're going to be talking about our character. The way that that a Christian character can make a difference to the world around us. 
we're going to be talking about the workplace. Now, I appreciate that for many people here, that's, that's not relevant anymore. You're at a stage of life where you're not in a workplace. But for many of you, you do do work still. You volunteer, you, you go and help at groups, you go to different places where you're leaders. It might be in your own family, you're, you're, the, you're the, the, the matriarch or the patriarch, to use a rather Victorian term. There will be people who look up to you as role models, who look to your life experience. So you might say, well, I haven't got a workplace, but actually you have. And you can make a real difference to the people that you encounter when you're there. We're going to be talking about grace and love. And how making small personal sacrifices to support others can be an incredible Christian witness. I was driving up here this morning and... um, uh, on the pavement coming towards me, t- towards me was a bloke who was, he had a hole drawn in one hand he was running and running and running and he had a hand down I looked in my rearview mirror and I saw there was a bus a few hundred yards behind me and he was desperately beckoning this bus and there was a bus stop between him and the bus and it was a race of who was going to get there first and of course the bus was moving faster than this guy who was, despite him being in full flight and he was probably about 20 yards away from the bus stop when the bus got there. And it didn't stop. And I thought, oh, come on, mate. It's not, it's not asking that much, is it? The poor bloke, he's, he's running. All right, you know, we've all got up a bit late in the morning and, and, and thought, I'm not left myself enough time. But really? In little times like that, showing grace and love isn't difficult. If that driver had stopped, if that driver had been a Christian and thought, right, that's my front line, I'm going to do the guy a favour, the bloke might never have known that he was a Christian. But still, he would have known that someone had shown grace and love to him. He would have known that someone had shown goodness in the world. In the fourth week, we're going to talk about shaping culture, modelling behaviour that others will, will recognise and will start to, um, start to mimic. We can change cultures, whether it's in our, in our homes or, or further afield. We can, we can affect the behaviour of other people. We're going to speak about truth and justice, how to stand up for ourselves and speak out in truth and justice when, when we feel it's right. How to share the truth of God Explain how fulfilment and freedom comes through obedient living. And then by the end of it, hopefully, we'll be able to identify our own front line. Because each and every one of us here is going to have a different front line. And hopefully by the end of this series, we'll know what our front line is. And we'll know the small things that we can do to to make an impact. To make a real impact on people's lives. I heard an anecdote this week which which really captured what this is about. There was a guy who had lived in the same area for about 30 years and he retired and moved house. And he moved to a a brand new area several miles away, he wanted a a fresh start. And when he got there he he said, Lord, I'm I'm in this new new village, Um, what do you want me to do? How can I serve you? Which is a very dangerous prayer to pray because often we get the answer back and we feel like saying, accept that. <laughs> um, but he, he, was a, he had a dog and he was a dog walker and he would often go out and um, 
There was a nature reserve where the majority of people in the village would walk their dogs. And he was walking there one day and he noticed there was a lot of litter lying around. And for the next few days he couldn't get the thought out of his mind, this, this, this nature reserve full of litter, and he thought, that's not, that's not good. So he decided, okay, well maybe I'm being called to just clean it up. Yes. Fair enough. So he wrote to the local council and they, they, he said, I don't want anything for doing this, but um, I'd just like, you know, if you've got any, any equipment that you could send me. And they sent him a, a litter grabber thing. Um, and uh, they said, you can have this on permanent loan. So every day, he'd take his dog out on the lead in one hand and he'd have this litter picker in the other hand. And he'd go around with a black sack while he's walking his dog and just pick up litter. And for the first few weeks, that was all he did. Then he started saying good morning to people as he came to recognise them and, and see, see them on the regular dog walk. And then people began to notice. And someone said to him, what, what are you doing this for? Is this, I see you're new to the area. Are you doing community service? You know, is it, you've been a naughty boy. Um, or are you paid by the council? What, what's your motivation? And he said... I just think it's terrible that this is a nature reserve and it's somewhere where we should be looking after and we can't even look after this, it's full of litter. So I've, I've, um, I've decided this is what I want to do. And he noticed other people asked, more, asked the question, word got round, like, like it does in small villages, word got round. He, he came to be known as the litter picker, which maybe not the most flattering of nicknames, but, um, but it did the job. People knew it. And in all weathers, every day he was out picking up litter, putting it in a black sack, taking it home. And then finally, finally, once after about six months, six to eight months I think it was, he got to know people, first name terms, had several conversations, and he began to say, when I moved to this village, I'm a Christian, and I prayed, what does God want me to do? And I just really felt that God was saying to me, go and clean it up. So that's what I'm doing. You see, people had seen him doing this consistently in all weathers, through freezing cold, driving rain, blistering hot sunshine. They knew that this wasn't just a, a fly-by-night one-off. One they knew that he was devoted to doing this. They'd seen the nature reserve really improve. It was looking really good by this point. And they'd even got into the habit, through guilt more than anything, of picking up litter, or maybe not just dropping it in the first place. And so when they got home, so they had a couple of crisp packets, so they'd, put, so they'd started doing the same thing. And when they heard that he was a Christian and that the motivation came from his prayer, they then began to say, you actually believe in that? And he said, yeah, I do. I do. I believe that actually God wants us to make a difference to the world in which we live. And I believe that actually I have made a difference and I am making a difference and I will carry on making a difference. And in the end, he started inviting people along to services at his church. If you want to know more, if you want to understand why I do this, then just come along. I've got a service next week. See what it's like. You see, through doing that, first of all, it was his, his character. He, he, he prayed because he wanted to make a difference. He had a willingness to make a difference. 
And then the work that he did, it wasn't paid employment, he, he was retired. But the work that he felt called to was going out and actually li- picking up the litter. And he devoted himself to it. The practical results of the application of his faith didn't come for a long time. But there were practical results. He showed grace and love. It wasn't his litter that was dropped on the floor, but he, he made a point of picking it up. And some of it was pretty unpleasant stuff. But he made a point. He wasn't just saying, oh, I dropped that yesterday, right, I'll take that bit, uh, that's not mine. He picked the whole lot up. He shaped the culture. People began to see his behaviour. They recognised this was really good, what he was doing. And so they started to do the same thing. It changed people's behaviour. It shaped the culture. He had an opportunity to speak about truth and justice, to speak the truth of God. He was explaining why he did what he did, what his motivation was. And then finally, at the end of all that, he shared Jesus. Sometimes we make the mistake of going out and sharing Jesus straight away and expecting results. But often we have to go out and be Jesus. We have to go out and show the world what Jesus looks like. Sometimes we have to show ourselves what Jesus looks like and remind ourselves before people will come to know him. So we're called to be salt and light. We're called to to be the ones that go out and preserve the goodness of the world. Like Trevor said earlier, the darkness is the absence of light. Well, as soon as we go out, even if we're only 6%, suddenly there's 6% light. The world is no longer dark. No matter how dark it may feel at times, it is no longer truly dark. And it can get brighter as we share the light with more and more people through the way that we live our lives. If you take a meal and you have a bag of salt and you put the entire bag of salt onto the meal, it's ruined. It's, all you've got is a pile of salt. And when you do eventually get to the food, it's horrible. The way to improve the flavour of a meal sometimes is just to take a small pinch of salt and just very gently scatter it. You can't even see it on the food. But you can, t- you can tell it's there. It makes a difference. So in this series... I want us to be excited, I want want us to feel empowered and hopefully by the end of it we'll all feel equipped as well to go out onto our front line, wherever that may be, whatever that may be, whoever that may be and to be fruitful, to make a real impact, to make a difference by showing people Jesus in this world. So I'm excited about this series, I think this is going to be really good and please do take one of these cards and as we, as we approach each week think about what it might mean for you as you go away from each sermon reflect on it and think about how you can be fruitful on your front line and hopefully as a congregation, as a wider church we can go out into the world just that 6% but we'll be like those paratroopers that said there's no way the enemy can get away from us there is always going to be someone, the postman, the, the, the lady at the shop, the, the, the CEO of the company that we work for, whoever it might be. There is always going to be someone that we can demonstrate Christ-like character to and make an impact upon them. Let's pray.
Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. And thank you, Lord, that you call us. You call us by name. You call us because you know that inside each and every one of us is huge potential to make a difference, to make an impact on the world around us, on the people that we meet day by day, week by week. And Father, we really pray that as we, as we go through this, this preaching and teaching series that we will be able to, to identify those people on our front lines, those people who, who you are already working in, who you can use us to make a difference to. Father, we pray that you'll, you'll help us to give thanks for these tiny opportunities whether it's greeting someone with a smile, whether it's, whether it's helping someone in some small way, whether it's showing sacrificial love. Father, we know that it can be so frustrating just, just drip by drip seeing, trying to pour out our Christian love onto people, but Lord, we know also that you can use each and every tiny drop every tiny circumstance where we act in a way that pleases you, we know that you honour that, you bless that, you use that. So Father, help us to feel empowered in our faith. Help us to know, Lord, that, that sometimes the challenges that we face, they might not be mountains. They might be gentle undulations. But that doesn't mean that we don't tackle them. That doesn't mean that we don't stand at the top and say, I've achieved something for my God. Father, equip us, empower us and excite us, we pray, to go out into the world, us 6%, and to make a difference for our God, who is Lord of the 100%. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.